Snap Studios. Step Judgment is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Oh, it might be the middle of the winter, Snappers. Cold, frosty. That's why it's time for a nice Snap classic story. We're going on vacation, in fact. So put your feet up. Enjoy a nice pina colada. Our own Joe Rosenberg. He's going to meet you on the Lido deck. Snap judgment. Okay, so let's start out this story with a request. <laughs> I haven't played it in so many... Um... This guy you're hearing is Moss Hills. And the sun beats down on the tower up on the roof. Uh, wait, give me a second. He'll be our entertainment for the evening, a musician of many years. Under the ballroom. But we're looking for a different song. First line start, uh... Yeah, 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 that's right. It's the old man river, he got nothing to lose. Because you see, Moss isn't just any musician, no. He is a cruise ship entertainer. And won't you let me take you on a sea cruise, a single week? You know, we just get the party going, and we, everyone throws streamers, and I do sing-along songs and conga lines, and it's a fantastic vibe. I love doing it. For Moss, working as a musician on a cruise ship, it never felt like settling. When you're working to an audience on a cruise ship, every single person in the audience is on holiday. No one's driving to work the next day. All your tired old jokes work every time. It's just a perfect venue. Ooh-wee, baby, won't you let me take you on a sea cruise? Moss was actually in a duo with his wife, Tracy. He played guitar, she played bass. It was kind of like they were on vacation, forever. Even when things went wrong, they could be fun, memorable. Take this time they were on this ship called the Oceanus, and they were expected to host this wedding off the coast of South Africa. Only they were in a really bad storm. And so they do they do the, the ceremony. People are walking in and it's supposed to be this quite moving thing as the bride's walking up the aisle and her father's giving her away and the guests are all standing, but they're all rocking to the left and then rocking to the right. And it looks like some macabre weird dance this whole room's doing. And I hid behind the flowers with a, a sick bag so that every now and again the organist could lean over, look at me, and I'd quickly rush the bag out, shove it up to his face, he'd vomit into the bag, and then go back to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it was, it was ridiculous. The only problem is that the next day, the wedding was over, but the storm wasn't. In fact, it was only getting worse. And it was so rough that we could see the waiters trying to serve food to the guests and in fact food and trays were falling over and that has never happened with me on a ship before and eventually nobody was laughing people were just starting to get tense and then all the lights went out and the ship was just plunged into darkness. And standing there in the lounge in the dark, the little emergency lights came on, but they're very dim. And, you know, the ship feels suddenly so eerie. And some of the people who were already in the lounge were sort of shouting out, what's happening? You know, and I went over to some of them and saying, look, just sit tight, everything's gonna be right. And I was making a joke and saying, we forgot to pay the electricity bill, you know, we, we, we're gonna pay it and it'll come back on. And, and whilst I was saying all that, 
we heard the engine stop. And I thought, this is now starting to become something dangerous. I, I was worried what was happening. The passengers were worried, too. Without being told, people were emerging from their cabins and dining areas and congregating at the natural meeting point of the ship, the Four Seasons Lounge, which is where Moss was. And they were just milling around. And then I thought, well, I better try and be on stage and try and focus people's attention. And I had an acoustic guitar, so I just started saying, don't worry, it'll all get sorted out soon, let's just stay in here, we'll have a bit of fun. And I just started singing a few songs. And I remember doing a little bit of Don McLean's American Pie, and we got to that part of the chorus which goes, and good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye and singing, this'll be the day that I die. And Tracy and I looking at each other and thought, hmm, Let's not do that one. I just went straight into the Beatles. Ooh, I need your love, babe. It's amazing, actually. I think that I can't find the right song for this audience. Just play the Beatles, and it's incredible. They just sing along wherever you are. That band is just phenomenal. Anyway, people were sort of singing along, and I kept expecting an officer in white to come striding in and tell us what was going on, or to hear ding-dong, and over the PA system, this is the captain from the bridge with some announcement. But absolutely nothing was happening. And I could perceive now the ship was lurching and leaning more to the starboard side. It wasn't recovering, coming back level again. And I tell you, it doesn't matter how good an entertainer you are, or you think you are, uh, people just want to know what's going on. So I went to Tracy and quietly, without passengers hearing us, I said to her, look, I need to go and try and find somebody in authority. And she said to me, well, you know, Moss, please don't do anything stupid. I said, no, 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 I won't. I'm just, I need to find out what's happening. Moss wasn't necessarily looking for the captain at this point. He's mainly looking for his boss, the cruise director. But when he found her, she was speaking to the captain. And the captain was telling her that the storm was really bad and that he wanted to start to abandon the ship. And that's when I interjected and said, well, why are we going to abandon the ship? Which, of course, Moss wasn't supposed to do. He was the guitarist. The captain was the captain. And I could see the cruise director look at me a little bit in amazement, and the captain just kind of looks right through me. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm of no consequence to him at all. The captain briefly explained to Moss that they were abandoning the ship as a precaution. And I said, well, are we sinking? He said, no. I said, is there a fire? He said, no. But I mean, you, know, you can't argue with the captain, but I just did not believe that you would not make people abandon the ship and go into a black, dark night and a terrible storm in rickety little lifeboats if you didn't absolutely have to. And so I left and I, I thought... I need to see what, what is the danger that we are supposedly abandoning the ship for. I went and found a friend of mine, Julian. And Julian, just in case you're wondering, was one of the onboard magicians. Julian was always very good at, at close-up magic, and he had some great outfits, because when he's on stage, he's, you can't take your eyes off him. He's just constantly changing things, capes and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, I said to Julian, let's just go right down to the lowest area of the ship that we can. So we're going down the staircases, hanging onto the railings, being thrown from side to side. 
and going deeper and deeper into the ship until we got to an area called the shaft tunnel. The shaft tunnel is basically the rock bottom of the ship. It's where the propeller shafts run through the vessel. Kind of this long hallway where normally you would hear the shafts spinning. But now it was just dark and silent. And as the ship rides up over a wave and then crashes down into the trough, well, that next wave hits it and the whole ship shudders. And that's somewhat disconcerting. So we started walking forward until we came across one of the watertight doors and it was closed. Now, the watertight door wouldn't be closed unless there was good reason to do that. And I remember putting my ears up against the door and they're very, very thick metal. But I could hear water pounding the other side of that door. And now suddenly you do feel fear. And, and you know, fear can be a, a physical kind of feeling. You feel it you know, deep in your stomach. And I remember us, us both thinking, oh my word, we're sinking. And when he and Julian emerged from the shaft tunnel, it was pandemonium. And we could hear crew sort of shouting in six different languages and utter disarray. And Julian and I were asking, trying to ask questions. We were just being ignored. Lots of the crew were grabbing small bags and getting themselves packed up. And at this point, there still hadn't been any announcement from the captain. The passengers were all still in the lounge or in their cabins, just waiting. So Moss and Julian went right back to the lounge and got all the entertainers together. And then I said, look, I know for sure the captain is not telling us the truth. I can't wait for announcements any longer. We need to try and start getting people into lifeboats. This is the part where I imagine Moss turning stoically to all the passengers assembled in the lounge and saying, come with me if you want to live. But Moss says it didn't really work like that. Uh... I think they were somewhat taken aback that this sort of instruction was coming from a guitar player and and, and a magician and various other of the entertainers. But there was nobody else. And if you're wondering how to stage a mass evacuation of 600 people from a sinking ocean liner, uh, you're not alone. Moss and the other entertainers, they didn't know either. There are master keys, but I had no idea where the master keys are. We also considered trying to make an announcement ourselves, but I didn't know where to do it. I didn't know what buttons to push or even where those buttons were. So we started banging on doors, just waking people up. Then there was the matter of how to work the actual lifeboats. Because you're supposed to attach the lifeboats to the side of the ship, and we did not know how to do that. But now the ship was tipping over so much on the starboard side that as you lower that lifeboat, it swings away from the ship, and then it comes rushing back towards it and smacks into the steel hull. And the people inside the lifeboat were now starting to squeal and shout in fear and shock as it hit the side of the ship and then it would swing out again and hit again and you have to keep in mind that during all this officers and crew were mixed up with the passengers trying to get into the lifeboats themselves but once they were in the lifeboat they were shouting right launch 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 and you know julian was asking well we need to put more people how many are supposed to go and no it's full it's full lower the lifeboat and these guys are not even trying to get as many people in as possible As soon as they're in it, they just want to go. Still, they hadn't seen the captain leave the ship. And so when the last of the usable lifeboats left, Moss and the other entertainers went up to the bridge. And of course, the bridge is also in darkness like the rest of the ship, but there's all of the controls and instruments and radar panels are all on and the lights are all glowing and flickering, but we couldn't see anybody. And suddenly we're sort of turning to each other and realizing 
There's nobody on the bridge. They must have abandoned us. And we still had a little over 200 people left on board. At this point, the ship itself was in a bad way. It had sunk all the way down to its upper decks and was getting hit broadside by the waves. So we thought, well, if we just start calling Mayday on one of the radios, we're hopefully going to get hold of someone. Do you even know what frequency? Like you're... No, but we decided let's not change any controls or any dials because whatever it is that these guys do on the bridge, well, they must have been doing it. And I'm assuming that one of those channels must still be set. So I was calling on the radio, Mayday, 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 please help us. And then letting go, listening for a reply. Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. And that's when we heard a voice saying, Okay, okay. And we thought, oh, thank goodness, somebody'd reply. You know, now someone's going to come and rescue us. And he just kept saying, Okay, okay, uh, what's your position? So I said, we're about halfway between the port of East London and Durban. And it's off the sort of northern part of the southeast coast of South Africa. And he said, no, 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 no what? What, what's your position? What are your coordinates? I said, well, I don't know what the coordinates are. And him sort of snapping back and saying, Well, what rank are you? And me saying, Well, I'm, I'm not a rank, I'm a guitar player. After taking a moment to process, the officer on the other ship helped Moss contact the South African Navy so that they could locate the Oceanus and send out some choppers. But to help with that, they really wanted Moss to find the captain, the one who was still on board. Somewhere. And... Underneath one of the staircases that leads down to the swimming pool area, I saw the captain and the radio officer, both sort of kind of hiding in the shadows there and just smoking. And I remember thinking, wow. And so I, I said, Captain, can you come to the bridge? We've managed to make contact with ships. If you can come there and just help us and give instructions. And he was just smoking and saying, no, it's not necessary. And I was yes, you know, we need you to come to the bridge. We can't answer the questions. And he just kept saying, no, it's not necessary. He just seemed to have completely given up. He didn't look panicked. He didn't look anything. He just, he looked vacant. And I just left him there. A short while later, a chopper appeared on the horizon. Moss didn't need the captain anymore. He had the Navy. The Oceanus had been found. And when those Navy divers came on deck, it did feel like now finally somebody's on board who's going to be in charge and they're going to take over here. But they said, look, we don't think we can get everybody off. Simple as that. For the divers, it was just pure math. There was too many people and not enough time. They said that if they brought in a second chopper, they just might be able to get everyone hoisted off the ship before it sank. But they told Moss that because they didn't have enough manpower, he would have to work one of the two rescue lines, putting passengers into a harness. And I, I was I was really very, very concerned. You know, I didn't really want to do this because, you know, suddenly it just felt very different to everything else that we've been doing so far. And because they said, if you get it wrong, they'll drop from that harness and, and hit the deck and be probably killed, or they might just be dropped into the water and just swept away. So you've got to get this right each time, and you've got to do it fast. And don't forget, this is all on a windy, pitching, tilted, sinking ship. And I knew that if we split the people in half, that I was going to have to rescue 114 people through this method. 
Moss was stuck between a rock and a hard place. Once they started hoisting people up, Tracy did a great job keeping people in line, but when Moss tried to clip them into the harness too quickly, they would slide down the deck and he would have to go rescue them. That ended up costing him a lot of time. But when he tried to go slowly, carefully, that cost him time too. He felt like he was failing. And as we hoisted two elderly ladies, I misjudged the waves and a big wave hit the ship and the whole ship lurched and as they swung out, these ladies just hit the side of the ship with a smack and then they just hung in those harnesses like rag dolls. The chopper continued to hoist the two women up, but Moss had no way of knowing whether they were okay. It was the first time someone got hurt who he felt responsible for. And I lost my nerve for a while. I just, I just couldn't put anybody else in the harness, so I signaled Tracy just to hang on. And I remember turning my back to the railing and sitting there and just looking down the steep deck, going away from my feet as I sat there, and the water below me, and just thinking that this is just too much. There's still so many people left to rescue. I know we're going to lose people. Who's who's going to go? Who's going to be lost? And who's going to are we going to save? But there, there was no choice. It just you just you've got to do it. You can't let the sort of the enormity of it sort of encroach on on the the basic drive of we're getting off here. So I got back up off the deck and then told Tracy to send more people out to me and it was just focused on making it happen and you know, in that sort of time of real crisis so many of those passengers thanked me which I just found remarkable and I remember them saying to be careful of your fingers you need to play guitar and you know two became four became six and then suddenly we realized there was no one else left except for the navy diver and just Tracy and I and it was finally our chance to get rescued and we looked at each other and then we didn't say a word. That cable came taut, pulled us off the deck, and as the helicopter was pulling away, I remember just looking down at my ship, drowning in front of me. It, it's hard to explain. I, I really don't know why, but I, I felt a very strong attachment to the ship that I've not felt to other ships. I've been on so many ships before and after. But that Oceanus, when, when I saw her as we flew away, I felt like I was abandoning her. And as we came to land, I remember one of the military people, people saying to me, is everybody off? And me saying, yes, everybody's off, it's all over. And I said that, and I just couldn't stand. And I remember just, I started to sob. I just couldn't control it. And I, and I just collapsed. Moss and the other entertainers had saved every single passenger, over 400 people including the people on the lifeboats and the two elderly ladies. They were pretty bruised up, but they were okay. Just about the only thing Moss couldn't save was the Oceanus herself. He didn't get to see her sink, but a news chopper managed to capture her final moments. This is the actual audio from that tape. And I've seen that footage many, many times, and it can see exactly where I was running my rescue station from, and I can just see that just go underwater. I can then see the section where Tracy was keeping all the, the passengers organized. I can see that bit go underwater. Then the whole stern of the ship just lifts right out of the water until it's vertically in the air and it just slowly just nose dives completely down. And finally, you can just see debris and orange life jackets and, and, and bits of deck chair and so on, just literally being blown into the air by this enormous roar of air 
It's like a great beast just giving its last gasp of breath. And suddenly the Oceanus is gone. And there's not even a ripple. It just disappears and the waves carry on and the ocean just shrugs. Moss never lost his love of the sea. After the sinking of the Oceanus, he and Tracy continued to work the cruise lines. And today, Moss is a cruise director. He says that most captains take him pretty seriously. But he still insists on playing guitar at least one night every voyage. If you ask, he might even sing you that sea cruise song. Only with a twist. I took that tune and I wrote a song to tell the story of what happened with the Oceanus sinking. So this is my Oceanus song. Here's my story of the Oceanus And how that ship became world famous I'll tell you it straight, I won't tell a lie And it's a sad sorry story So try not to cry And we sang Mayday, Mayday Get me to the shore cause the ship's gonna sink Well in the age old tradition It was women and children first Thank you so much to Moss Hill For sharing his story with the snap Now there's so many details about that night that we weren't able to include, so we want to be sure to thank the members of the Oceanus Entertainment team who helped during the rescue, including, but not limited to, Moss's wife and bandmate Tracy, the cruise director Lorraine, both of the onboard magicians Robin and Julian, the members of the Green Dolphin Show Band, and of course, the brave men and women of the South African Navy. And if you want to learn more about the Oceanus, we'll have links to the website Moss put together about this sinking as well as to that video that he mentioned of the ship's final moments. All of it at snapjudgment.org. The original sound design was by Renzo Gorio, and that story was produced by Joe Rosenberg. Big news, St. Louis. Big news, Nashville. Snap Live is coming for you this March. Get tickets while you still can. It might change your life. And even though... This is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you could save all the folk on the cruise ship before it sinks down to the bottom of the ocean. And the man still won't let you use your employee discount card talking about extenuating circumstances. And you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. WNYC. 